What is going on, Player Profiler Posse? We are back with another edition of First Mover. Now, into the second half of the NFL season. Where did time go, man? We are already into Week 9. This Week 9 slate, we've got a 10-game slate moving from a 13-game slate. So there's a lot of uh, interesting theoretical stuff that we're going to talk about with that. We've got a game on Thursday. We've got an early game over across the pond in London. And we've got four teams on by. So that leaves us with only a 10-game slate. And with that, I am Pilo, and this is First Mover. You know the drill. For those new here at First Mover, presented by player profiler, rotounderworld.com, we like to take a look at the updated and new pricing release for the upcoming week uh, in the DFS slates and them DFS streets. So with that, we'll jump right in. We're going to look at the overall macro perspective of this slate, and then we'll jump into and look at some uh, micro player pricing stuff. We are going to keep this one. Typically, we go between 45 minutes and one hour. We're going to try and keep this one to 30 minutes because of the festivities. We know it is All Hallows Eve, Halloween night tonight. So we'll give you a nice, short, quick listen as you prepare for those Halloween festivities. So looking at the slate we got here, like I said, we've got the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs, that headline game over across the pond in London. That leaves us with the Cardinals and the Browns, game total of 37 and a half. The Vikings with a new quarterback change, RIP. Uh, we wish nothing but best wishes to Kirk Cousins after that devastating uh, Achilles injury. Taking on Atlanta Falcons with some quarterback uncertainties themselves, game total of 37 and a half. Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to Houston, take on the Texans, game total of 40 points. The Rams and the Packers. Two underperforming teams, 39 and a half. Chicago Bears, New Orleans Saints, game total of 41 with a massive seven and a half spread. Washington Commanders, New England Patriots, game total of 40. Seattle Seahawks and Baltimore Ravens, 43. So as we're seeing this recent trend, scoring is down across the league. And these game totals are reflecting it finally. Seattle Seahawks, Baltimore Ravens, we covered. Indianapolis Colts, Carolina Panthers, 44. Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles at 46. And then finally, to end the weekend, New York football Giants at the Raiders, game total of 37 and a half. So we've talked about this a little bit this season. With scoring down across the league, there's really two theoretical assumptions that we can make um, to base our play in DFS because of that. One, we have to understand that game environments that vastly outperform their expectation are that much more important this season because there are fewer opportunities from other games around the league on a specific slate to match or surpass that. So what are we talking about as far as roster construction goes? Game stacks, game over stacks become that much more important when there is a game that vastly outperforms its expectation. But on the other side of that coin, there are fewer opportunities for a team or for a game environment to develop into something that we had to have or we were not winning without. So the other side, so while simultaneously we have, on one side of the coin, we have 
game environments that vastly overperform their expectation are extremely important now, or even more so important than they were in the past. We also have to realize that game environment bets gain increased or sorry, gain decreased importance because we're seeing a lot more teams succeed without the entire game environment erupting or providing the environment for fantasy production from each side of the game. So your standard DFS stack that we've grown accustomed to over the previous four or five seasons of a quarterback plus a pass catcher plus a bring back, correlated bring back on the other side, are less important and less viable to play in DFS play with scoring down. So we really want to be barbell bracketing our approach. We want to be willing and able to overinvest in an over game stack. We also want to be honest with the fact that we could be utilizing skinny stacks and team stacks at a higher rate as compared to game environment bets. So how I am utilizing this in my own play, I am attacking game over stacks in game environments where I think that they could overperform expectations. We'll talk about some potential. This is a very thin slate for that, but some potential spots for that to occur. And I'm also utilizing skinny stacks, which is a quarterback plus one pass catcher. And I'm also attacking teams that I think can overperform as opposed to looking purely at game environments. Uh, that would look something like a quarterback running back pass catcher or a quarterback plus two pass catchers without forcing a correlated bring back. So that's the theoretical components of this slate. We saw the highest game total is here in the afternoon portion of the slate in the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll start our discussion with that, that game, and we'll do so by bringing up some DraftKings stuff to look at for that game. So checking out the player pricing over at DraftKings.com. We'll highlight that game and take a peek ski of what we got going on here. So Jalen Hurts is one of only three quarterbacks priced above 8K on this slate. He has recent returns, 31 fantasy points, 25, 22, 31, 27. So he is priced up here for his floor. Where does he derive his floor from? He derives his floor from his rushing involvement in this offense in the tush push, in his ability to score touchdowns on the ground. I mean, look at his look at his game logs, two touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, one, one, one. Uh, so this is a guy who has six rushing touchdowns through just eight games played. So that is where he gets his floor. And you look at his game logs, he's got the solid floor. The only game where he didn't put up 20-plus fantasy points was week one against New England. So knowing that, knowing that he's priced up for his floor, how is his ceiling unlocked? And if you look at his game logs, his ceiling is unlocked through the air. His 30-point fantasy point production returns are both games where he has surpassed 300 passing yards through the air. Why is that important? He's unlocking that uh, passing bonus, getting that extra three points. Um, and able to contribute on the ground as well. In one game where he surpassed 31 fantasy points, he threw for 319 and four touchdowns. In the other, he threw for 303 with one touchdown, but added a rushing score. So that rushing involvement gives him the added floor of the rushing production. We know rushing is more important from a per yard basis for a quarterback than aerial production. 
but it really isn't how he's going to put up like an elite fantasy DFS score. That is going to come with the rushing production plus the passing production or through the passing production alone. So that's a very important thing to keep in mind against a Dallas defense that we know is running extreme rates of man coverage. We know they're stout up front. We also know that this Dallas defense has not necessarily been fully tested up to this point. Look at their games they've played. 40 to nothing win, 30 to 10 win, a disgusting 16 to 28 loss to Arizona, 38 to 3 win. That's this is how they started the season. All four of those opponents, the Giants, the Jets, the Cardinals, and the Patriots, are bottom 10 in the league in scoring this season. Then they go on the road to Levi Stadium. They get blown out against the 49ers, who then went on to subsequently lose three games in a row, but they get blown out by the 49ers, 42-10. to 10. They play a tightly contested game where they know they have their bye week coming up. Um, they've struggled to start the season really becoming who they want to be, I would say, on offense, leading into their bye, and they struggle to a 20-17 to 17 win uh, against the Chargers. Then they absolutely blow out the Rams. They win 43 to 20, but they took a 33 to 3 lead into the final drive of the first half. Ended up being 33 to 9 at halftime with the Rams scoring right before half um, and going for two and failing. So, why is that important? Well, this Cowboys defense has been one of the better units over the past two seasons, but this year they haven't necessarily fully been tested. And the one game that they were was against San Francisco. And they, we saw them give up 42 points. So I'm not here saying the Dowboys are trash. The Eagles are going to completely smash them. I'm just saying that that possibility exists here. So that leaves this game environment with a rather wide range of potential outcomes. On the other side of that game, Philadelphia's defense has been good, not great this season. Last year, they were able to generate borderline historic rates of pressure in the backfield. They were chasing history in sacks uh, for the entire season. They ended up with 71. And they were able to parlay that with a linebacking core that was good in coverage. And they were able to parlay that into success via their secondary that played a, a solid mix of man coverage and zone coverage. But they were able to have all three of those layers working together. This year... They have the pressure up front. Their linebacking unit has changed significantly. Now they their linebackers are very, very good at generating pressure in the backfield, but they are not as good in coverage. We've seen them struggle against tight ends. Uh, you look at Jake Ferguson, uh, his matchup here, 24th against tight end scoring. The um, And Philadelphia here, Dallas Goddard, uh, the Philadelphia, um, or sorry, disregard. So all of that comes together, and their their secondary has really struggled to limit splash plays against. We look at the wide receivers. They rank 32nd in points per game allowed to wide receivers this year. So why is that? It's because their secondary is not locking down the deep ball, and they're struggling in zone coverages. A lot of that has to do with communication. Um, yeah, I digress. So all this comes together. We should expect the Cowboys to find offensive success. We should expect the Eagles to find offensive success. But because both of these defenses have 
the ability to lock down their opponent. And because both of these offenses have the ability to put up points, it introduces a rather wide range of outcomes. So when that is the case, when we have a wide range of outcomes, typically we want to be looking to expected ownership when we're making our decisions uh, for the DFS slate. So yes, AJ Brown just set history with more than 125 receiving yards in six games straight. That was last or has never been done before, but five games in a row was last done by Megatron Calvin Johnson in Detroit. So we know this guy is on historic pace. And this all occurred after week two game when on the sideline, AJ Brown approached uh, Jalen Hurts on the sideline and said, hey, man, give me the ball. There's a lot going on there, but that is the historic pace that AJ Brown is currently on the torrid stretch here. We also have a Dallas offense that came out of their bye, kept their foot on the gas against a Rams team that they were absolutely dominating. We talked about they went into halftime with a 33 to nine lead and they kept passing in the second half through primarily CD lamb. CD lamb went absolutely nuclear in the first half, but he added some additional, he had four additional targets in the second half. So he went into halftime at 10 targets uh, and ended up with 14. But they made it a point of emphasis to get CeeDee Lamb going in week eight out of their bye week in week seven. CeeDee Lamb went into the bye with just 22.2% targets per route run and around 22% of the team target market share. So they made a point of emphasis to get him going. And that is an interesting fantasy perspective. Uh, for expected fantasy production in this next matchup. We saw Brandon Cook score a touchdown last week. He's still not heavily involved in this offense, more of a secondary piece. Four games in a row, four targets. Four targets in all but one game this season. So we know that he is being utilized more as this safety manipulator downfield, kind of stretching the field, opening things up for CeeDee Lamb underneath. As far as tight ends, Jake Ferguson, in a good matchup, he has almost 30% red zone target, target share on the Dallas Cowboys this season, but his ADOT is sitting at a relatively putrid 4.4 this season. So he was primarily being utilized in this <clears throat> short area role, um, but we saw a little bit, we saw that open up a little bit uh, in their matchup against the Rams. He only saw four targets, and that was primarily a product of the game environment. Did score a touchdown finally. You know, he hadn't scored since week two uh, with that robust red zone target rule. Um, but this in this matchup, this is a guy, if this game environment erupts, can be included in some game stacks. And we talked about game stacks and the importance of a game overperforming and the wide range of outcomes in this game. All that comes together in the highest game total of the week. I'm going to be interested in some game over stacks of this spot. I think you can do so with Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Jake Ferguson. On the other side, we talked about Jalen Hurts. He can, and this offense can, overcome a difficult matchup. And the fact that we don't necessarily have a very good idea of what the Dallas Cowboys defense is. We know they have been elite. We know they continue to score defensively. Um, Deron Bland took his, or I guess, notched his third pick six of the season already last week. Uh, so this is a team that is very aggressive on defense. 
But that also leads to a lot of man coverage. And we talk about man coverage against a guy like A.J. Brown. We know some nasty things can happen. So in a game overstack, there is nothing preventing us outside of the salary that it takes of starting a roster build with something like this. That's going to require some value at the running back position. So let's take a look at that and see if we can't put together a roster real quick here. The Cleveland backfield is something that is very, very difficult to get a read on right now. We saw all of Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, and Pierre Strong see 10 or more running back opportunities in their game last week. The game started with Kareem Hunt, the starter, Pierre Strong, the change of pace guy. And we thought at halftime that that was due to Jerome Ford's uh, injury coming into the game. He had an ankle injury. And then in the second half, Jerome Ford was the lead back with Kareem Hunt as the change of pace back. I don't no idea what that means. I have no idea what to expect from this backfield, but there could be something here in a solid matchup against Arizona Cardinals if you want to take that additional risk and the variance there. Scrolling down a little bit more, we have Chuba Hubbard against Indianapolis Colts. Chuba saw all of the two-minute drill opportunities for the Carolina Panthers against the Houston uh, Texans last week in their first win, which required a two-minute drive uh, to, to end up with a field goal, with a game-winning field goal. There could be a somewhat changing of the guards here. Cuba Hubbard at only 5K is very interesting. On the other side of that matchup, we have Jonathan Taylor. Priced at a respectable 6.4 because there is ambiguity still there because Zach Moss is still involved. We saw him 18 carries and then 11 carries in back-to-back -back weeks. But in the first half, Jonathan Taylor was really the featured back. He kind of separated from Zach Moss. He had a carry at the end of the first half that he was removed from the game. Zach Moss took the rest of the carries on that drive. And then Zach Moss took all the opportunities in this backfield on the first drive of the second half. So did Jonathan Taylor pick up an injury? We're not sure. But if Jonathan Taylor is going to be this 70% um, running back opportunity share in Indianapolis against a Carolina Panthers defense that is bleeding production to opposing backfields, this could be one of the more underpriced players at the running back position on the slate. So he is very interesting in a build like this as well. If you want to get really, really tricksy here, Royce Freeman kind of took over the backfield in the second half of their game uh, last weekend against the Dallas Cowboys. He has been the more efficient back of the two between he and um, Darrell Henderson. And there could be against a matchup against the Green Bay Packers, who just continues to bleed production to the running back position. There could be something here as well. So if you look at kind of how this roster is coming together, we still need some value. That's probably going to require some savings at the defensive position. Can we do that this week? Yeah, I think we can. We have a Cleveland, uh, the Arizona Cardinals against the Cleveland Browns, um, a Browns team who really 
is struggling to move the football through the air. They should be able to move the football sufficiently on the ground. We also have a New York Giants team against a Las Vegas Raiders team that is the only team remaining in the league that has not scored more than 21 points at any point this season. They have been confined to 21 points or fewer in every game played. Against the heavy blitz rates of Wink Martindale's defense, the heavy man coverage, this is simultaneously a spot where the Giants could return a usable fantasy score and they could get absolutely flamed um, by Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers in man coverage. But that's another wide range of outcomes. We see a Giants defense who have put up double-digit fantasy points in three out of the last four games. They're priced at only 2300 They make a lot of sense in this particular roster. So you see now things are starting to come together. We spent a ton of salary in our core of this roster. Dak Prescott, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Jake Ferguson. But we were able to kind of maneuver and make things happen and fit together in a useful manner with the value that is available on the slate. Talking about 9,400 left remaining for a wide receiver and a flex, that is something that is entirely doable. So let's look at wide receiver, see if we got anything down here in this mid-range that we can make happen. So one of the, I mean, there are multiple interesting aspects. You can completely overstack it this game with Brandon Cooks. We talked about his modest role in this offense. We have... Robert Woods, who is doubtful, and we have Tank Dell here priced at only 5300 against a pass funnel Tampa Bay defense. We've got Josh Downs and his increasing role. Uh, probably don't want to pair Josh Downs with Jonathan Taylor without any bring back there. We have J Jahan Dotson against the Patriots, who just erupted. We have Christian Watson against the Rams. Um, we know his upside is there. He is this Packers offense has been struggling. Look at my, my background here. You know, you see I'm a Packers fan. They have been struggling. This is a Matt LaFleur problem. This is not a Jordan Love problem. Jordan Love has not been good, but this is a Matt LaFleur problem. Let's look at, I mean, the Packers went into their game last week having scored only 24 first half points. That is bad. That points to coaching. There's really three phases or aspects of an NFL game. There's like the first quarter and a half, which is your game plan. There is the back half of the second quarter into the third quarter, which is your adjustments, your game management. And then the fourth quarter is an entirely different aspect animal in and of itself. So the fact that the Packers are struggling so heavily in the first half tells me that this coaching staff is not having this team ready to go against the particular opponent. But Christian Watson still has that upside. So there are a lot of options down here that can be viable on a build like this. And what we're looking for is we're not looking for solid median projection plays. So we're not looking for guys like Curtis Samuel, who has very, very consistent production due to his role in this offense. Four targets, eight targets, four targets, seven targets, eight targets. He has some rushing attempts thrown in. That's not the type of player that we're looking for in a roster build like this. We're looking for upside. So that leads us more towards players like Demario Douglas, who has seven targets, six targets, and rushing attempts in the past two weeks. But he has that explosive play ability um, when you compare him to a guy like Curtis Samuel that Curtis Samuel, quite frankly, in this stage of his career does not have. 
Why is that important? Well, we have Kendrick Bourne, who is going to be out for the season with the torn ACL. So that could open up some additional opportunities for a guy like Demario Douglas, priced at only 4K. So we start to look at how this build is kind of coming together, and we can make this happen. Something like this, Tank Dell is a guy that we just talked about. We can make something like this happen, not sacrifice our ceiling because we need ceiling in GPPs to take down a tournament um, and still gain exposure in an interesting way to the top expected game environment on the week. So we covered a lot of the theoretical components with the scoring being down. We covered the top expected game environment and how we should be interested in overstacking that spot as well. We covered some of the potential values on the slate to make something like that happen. We could change out Tank Dell if we don't want to go there, uh, although he's in a good spot this week. We could swap out Tank Dell for someone like Christian Watson, upgrade our defense. We could swap out Tank Dell for somebody like Jerome Ford taking on the additional ambiguity that is associated in that backfield right now. We could swap out to Mario Douglas. So there's a lot of ways that we can still go with this roster. But with that, let's hear a quick one minute intro to the DFS Dominator from the Podfather himself. DFS getting harder every year, but we're here to make it easier with the DFS Dominator because I know a lot of optimizers keep coming out. Oh, our optimizer. What about this optimizer? But that optimizer. Well, we have a cash game optimizer that leverages the projections from Dario, Billy, the award-winning projections at playerprofiler.com and builds the best lineups for cash games that have both upside and stability because that's what you want. It's a couple clicks, boom, boom, boom. You get the best possible lineup for your cash games. But for tournaments, traditional optimizers don't work. That's why we have a lineup genius, which takes you through the process of building lineups the way they should be built. Which quarterbacks do you want to be overweight on? Then building stacks, then setting runbacks, then optimizing and generating up to 150 lineups that you can easily import into DraftKings, into FanDuel. That's the DFS Dominator. It's only $45. A year, not not a week, a, a year, a year. Just go to Player Profiler, click on the DFS Dominator from the menu, and you won't be sorry. So that is going to do it for our special Halloween edition of First Mover. As promised, wanted to keep this below 30 minutes to give you guys actionable intel in as condensed fashion as we can for today so you can go enjoy those halloween festivities i am hilo and this was first mover hey i want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in it's important to me that all of our media be free this is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business so please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.